0: If this is not the epitome of Community Times Capital, I don't know what is. CNBC is trying to get me on to talk about GameStop and Wall Street Bets. They really should just have had me on there talking about Dogecoin. Community Capital.
1: Community Capital. Put your money where the movement is.
0: I'm community. Hey, I'm Michael. I'm capital.
1: So something like that.
0: We are recording. Thumbs up.
1: All right. So, what about Dogecoin? Do you see as being as being valuable, other than that people, for whatever reason, want to buy it?
0: <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, that's just it. It's not. It is. It is the ultimate. Shitcoin is what the industry is, what the the crypto community would call it. it. It is a coin that has no value whatsoever in that. I mean, it was designed as a joke. It was designed to make fun of the religiosity of Bitcoin zealots. And so there is a delicious irony in the idea that the thing created as a joke could end up being this currency of import. And that is what is driving, that is the meme that is driving the core adoption. And then you get enough people who are in on this joke and are like, yeah, this would be really funny if this got to 10 cents or a dollar and, you know, all this stuff. Because, I mean, it is it is absurd. It is, it is almost like, um, it's like art. It's like performance art. But then you have enough people who are sort of on the periphery who have their, you know, Robinhood app open. They see the growth of Doge. Then they also see the the sort of affordability of it, quote unquote, because it's only a few cents or 10 cents or 20 cents or whatever it is right now. And they're like, yeah, all right, fine. Here's $100 worth. And then they see it go up in a big way. And so they're like, oh, okay. And this is, I mean, this is, this epitomizes that mimetic strength, there is no i mean this is all momentum. there is just no underlying value here, but if everyone believes in the big joke, then it's a thing and and like I would not recommend anyone put a material <laughs> amount of their life savings in dogecoin, but it is it epitomizes this this reality of. As long as enough, a big enough community of people believe in a thing, it has value. And I mean, dude, it's wild to watch. I've seen. I mean, this this was born on Reddit nine years ago, ten years ago. I don't know how long ago. And it's been. I regret. I've got. I've got a Dogecoin wallet with God knows how much Doge in it somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I had millions of Dogecoins that I'm. I I just had assumed were never going to be worth anything one day, and God knows where they are now. But um, I, I I'm just. Yeah, and nothing can surprise me are, more on in the are internet. Are you
1: going to be the story on the Wall Street Journal that's like, man, man forgets his, Digging man, through man a landfill. Forgets his key, private keys to Dogecoin yeah. wallet. Yeah. So where, 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 where does he find it? His-
0: <laughs> I might be. It's pretty so ridiculous. Though. It's
1: actually an interesting <laughs> question. So from the capital side of all this, I struggle with the fact that there is no fundamental value no of fun the investment. Not other than the fact that people are willing to uh, other than the fact that people are willing to continue to buy it now yeah. i guess the question i have which which in today's world i do understand because that's why community plays a role in all of this and matters is that sometimes the community can pull forward a a financial asset and make it valuable because you're creating a movement out of it we've seen this happen yeah, in and multiple supply cases. And, demand and you
0: know yep.
1: yeah but what happens when the community no longer believes in Doge and then the price of Doge goes down. Then what happens to all those investors who followed the community? Like, How do you think about that from a a perspective of investor protection and also making sure that people understand why they're doing something when they're making an investment? Because that gets the education piece, which I think is so important with all of this.
0: Well, okay, so then this is... At one, I think probably a good reason why I is stop-loss orders exist, <laughs> right? Yeah. Is that the thing? Yes. Yeah. So like, Absolutely. I mean, if you're sitting here on a huge windfall of Doge and you're like, I really, it would pain me to lose, to to not walk away with at least this much money, place a, it's a stop-loss order, place a stop-loss order, right? Mm-hmm. At that amount. Is that the right prescription? Yep. So like do that. <laughs> because
1: yes, well, there is no intrinsic value. Most people don't know what
0: stop loss orders or
1: limit orders.
0: Well, listen to this podcast. Market orders are, right? I mean Well, they need to listen to our podcast, Michael. That is what I would recommend because this is there are no fundamentals to your point. But but here's the the interesting conundrum is because there are no fundamentals, what actually triggers the sell-off? Because it's not like the president of Doge comes out one day and is like, well, forecasts are looking bad. And it's not like they're going to miss a quarter of earnings. It's not like, I mean, at this point, Dogecoin is not going to get hacked. And it's not doing anything. So no one's expecting it to do work like Ethereum. So because there are no fundamentals, is that not a reason why Nothing could trigger a sell off other than enough people all decide, like, but how would all these people independently decide you know what we're done i, I will say this a, it sounds like so we've seen it happen on mm. the
1: on on the bull case when Elon Musk tweets about Doge. the price seems to go up. I think it went up four hundred percent this week, and yeah. it it went up I think today ninety or one hundred percent I saw uh in the past day, and that's due to tweeting activity so maybe this is an influencer led phenomenon which again <clears throat> i think need to think about regulation and need to think mm. about investor protections and oh, how you regulate that the on r word
0: the right. r word <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so we talk about we talk about regulators the, on this wait, you're the finance guy you're the capital guy you don't like regulation well so i your team anti-regulation
1: so I'm, I'm, I'm on I'm I'm on both there. sides of this. I think that okay. there are I think there needs to be ways in which you should democratize access and yeah, I, I just bought some more doge by that. the way.
0: what was that? <laughs> I just bought some more doge. My order is still pending it's it's so high volume right now. that is not an endorsement, but I like okay, but sorry, you're right right something what because I, I agree there should be some consumer protection has the right intentions. Now there's no consumer protection in Vegas though.
1: That's true. And I guess the the question becomes, so what is gambling versus what is investing? Now, if people Mm. want to gamble, they can do that and that's fine. I think there are some really interesting crowdfunding regulations in places like the UK where non-accredited investors can participate, but they can only participate in crowdfunding platforms to up to a certain percentage of their net worth. And then they'll never yeah, lose any more than like that, that, which that, that's, yeah. th- that I think is a good framework for that. So you're letting people participate and people just like people can participate in gambling, in sports betting and all of those types of things. But you also want to protect them in a way. Cause I think that, I think the, one of the biggest challenges facing both regulators and financial services, traditional financial services firms going forward is actually going to be the rise of influencers and how much influence, for lack of a better term, these influencers have on, on people mm. due to the fact that social media has opened up the floodgates for people to follow these people and listen to them and believe them in some respects. So I think those influencers actually have a lot of responsibility to you know, make sure that they, they might want to promote something, but do it in a way where they say, Hey, look, understand your risks. And I know that's the boring kind of like, you know, small fine print text stuff that a lot that has always used to be the case. But I think it's, I think influencers are the ones who actually really have a huge responsibility here to promote things in a way where they're being very clear about what they own, why they yeah. own it and why they're promoting it. And mm-hmm. then if they do that, then people can make their own decision. And then I think at the same time, regulators are probably going to have to think about or or are already thinking about how they help people understand uh, financial education and financial protection in a time where social media exists and will continue to exist. That's not that's not being pulled back. No. So what do, you, what do you do in that kind of world?
0: But, and hold on, because so I agree with everything you're saying. The the interesting take for me is. Now everyone can have a platform that is, it feels more democratic. I love going on CNBC. I'm probably on CNBC once a month. Is that a democratic platform? Absolutely not. But I managed to through, you know, by hook and by crook and by doing some good things in business, like have a, a pretty good relationship with the producers over there and I go on pretty regularly. Now, punditry about finance has been around for a minute. There are folks who whose entire programs on CNBC who get paid a salary by CNBC to talk about buying stocks, to talk about selling stocks. Everyone understands Jim Cramer. I'm just picking on Jim because he's one everyone knows. But like <laughs> Jim Cramer is, I, I believe he's earnestly doing the best he can. I remember the Jon Stewart teardown of him from way back in the day on The Daily Show um, because it felt like, There wasn't really, it was entertainment instead of sort of education. And now I look at creators and I see, all right, well, to me, what this is, is a world where now any Jim Cramer doesn't need to get blessed by CNBC, but can just do their job. And that actually feels now, yes, it creates way more noise, way more confusion, but it's a lot more democratic than the way it has been. And in some ways, not a bad
1: thing, right? Because there are people who will bubble up to the surface who may actually be incredibly smart. Roaring Kitty. Never be
0: discovered, Yeah, Roaring Kitty. Uh, the one who was early <laughs> yeah. in GameStop. Uh, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to, exp- he got doxxed already, but I'm just going to stick to his his internet name. Roaring Kitty is, you know, just a, I mean, just a dude. Up in New England, who was just doing some day trading and saw an opportunity and made a YouTube channel about it, like that. He was actually a financial advisor uh, before. The, I, I don't know fair. the that's chronology fair.
1: of this, but he was a financial advisor and a registered rep. So he uh, he actually did come from the finance community. He did but his homework.
0: I think that's the interesting thing about all of this is that he would have never been deigned to be on CNBC. No offense, Roaring Kitty, but like never would have. And and so I like living in a world where someone who's got a great idea. That a lot of people pretty democratically say, "Yeah, that's a good idea." Upvote get to promote that person and their ideas. So I, I mean, I guess every, maybe they come up. Maybe the SEC comes up with some blanket disclosure for us for for everyone to say at the start of every podcast. I am a creator. Don't take me seriously.
1: Maybe I mean I guess that,
0: that's where it gets challenging because like I remember
1: I remember at. I Capital, and this would be the same for any regulated financial institution or for financial services firm. We were we were regulated. We had a broker dealer license. We were uh, mm-hmm. we were an RIA, and and just like if we were employees at Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan or whatever, we would actually have to have our tweets be run by compliance before we tweet anything out that has anything to do with financial advice, even if it's on our personal account. So like even if I was tweeting on my personal account, I'm no longer a registered rep. Uh, so I can, I, I had my series seven and 63, the I'm, I'm come off. Tweet, I'm free to tweet, uh, you know, my, my partners at Broadhaven still want me to be careful. So I try, sure. but, uh, but, but I, I'm no longer regulated, but that I think is an interesting feature of all of this is that. and And one thing interesting about VC, quite honestly, is that we are the one corner of the universe that we we met and some firms are RIAs. Andreessen has become Andreessen an RIA, a registered investment yeah. advisor. Um, so I'd imagine they have to run their social media uh, content through some sort of compliance function. But the majority of us and the majority of influencers, if not all influencers, uh, are really free to say what they want uh, on social media. So how do you live in a world where people can do that and people can build up trust in personas online that get other people to follow them mm-hmm. and balance that with the responsibility of saying things in ways that, you know, provide information, education, and maybe say like, here's why I believe in it. But at the same time, you know, know that people who may not have access to that same information or maybe not, uh, don't spend their li- livelihood doing that end up wanting to follow that because they Mm. see that person as smart, successful, et cetera, and then end up following, which there are positives of the benefits of community when it comes to investment. I mean, this, and this is as old as time too. I mean, there's, you know, there's the, the old version of this was you go to a cocktail party and you brag about the stock that you invested in. Mm -hmm. So it's not like this hasn't
0: existed. It just exists in a different form. Oh, it's existed. But doesn't it feel better that it's happening in sunlight? like it makes me feel better that this stuff is going down on a public forum like youtube some random person on the internet roaring kitty can give his perspective and if enough people find it and like it like they're like cool that sounds good like that that at least feels i think as an outsider to finance it feels like all the best insights even when they were put on tv the best insights were not being aired on CNBC. The best insights were being whispered over drinks downtown. Or I don't know where you guys went to drink after trading hours, but like that's, that's where it went down. That <laughs> is oh, where that. Oh, I got sound effects. <laughs> now. Sound that effects. is where this stuff all happened. And now that it's happening in public forums on the open internet, it actually feels, I think to the average person, like more honest and, and yeah, there's more noise, but, it it means there's more of a chance for like a genuine sort of diamond to be discovered.
1: Th- thank you, Alexis Kramer Ohanian. <laughs> well, so I, I agree. And I think this is actually what um, <clears throat> has made this time so interesting because when mm. you see the community get behind certain assets, it could mm. be crypto, it could be stocks, it could be something else in the future mm. Yeah. it's all happening Trading cards. to your point in the, NFT. yes, absolutely. Right. <laughs> people want to follow players they love and they might want to invest in that player. And that, that could spur a ton of interest. What's interesting about that is that it's something that I don't think we can change because now social media reaches so many people. Mm. And that is exactly what's different from a cocktail party. There's a smaller N of people in your circle who you're talking to now, the reach that that person has, there are people who have millions of followers on social media, and they're saying they believe in this in this asset, this person, this stock. Mm-hmm. That can, not, I don't wanna go so far as move markets, but I mean, it can potentially move markets.
0: <laughs> Let's look at areas um, where we have, I think as long as people have stayed <laughs> within terms of service, um, let's say politics has been upended by this. So the very legislators who would be deciding on these issues. So uh, AOC, probably the best example of of a politician who has made the most out of social media and not egregiously violated terms of service, right? She That is, I think we would all agree, a really enabling platform because now without having to spend millions of dollars on TV ads, she can run a campaign that reaches millions of people every day from, you know, her Coffee her kitchen table while she's having coffee in the morning. That's powerful. And we all sort of celebrate it as like, okay, that's technology enabling, you know, a range and you know, a platform that that disintermediates. And so I'd be curious to see how that goes down because, you know, certainly I think if if you frame it as, hey, look, now every politician has their own personal NBC. And they get to use it whenever they want. Is that good for democracy? Blah, 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 blah. And there's, there's more questions about that.
1: I think what you're getting at is actually a really interesting nuance of all of this, which is the sound bites are getting shorter and shorter. And even people's consumption of information is now shorter and shorter. So when it comes to certain things like politics, like investing, where maybe more information is better in theory, but... The reality is maybe in practice people don't want or can't consume more information. Is that a good thing that you're getting just the sound bites of people rather than more thought out kind of fuller versions of content in more structured ways?
0: No, it's bad for sure. I mean, but it's I think I think one nice byproduct of it is for those of us, you and I who are digital natives who are just old enough to remember life. Wait, how old are you? 32. Jesus, you're, you're just a baby. All right, I'm 38. Hey, I'm still week.
1: in the 80s. I'm, I'm, yeah, a, you're I'm still... a millennial. All right, We're both all right. millennials, actually. No, I know, but
0: I'm an old millennial. I'm like barely a millennial. But, but I, um, oh, I'd say we both um, just started our lives on the internet. Didn't quite, like I, I remember getting dial-up.
1: I had, I had the old AOL screen names. I had the Motorola flip phones. Okay. All I right. Flip phones. I had to, I had to text,
0: yeah. I had to do like the, you know, okay. hit three
1: buttons to text. Oh the yeah. Scene. To get
0: the letter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. You're legit. We had our brains rewired as we, once we got older or like, like we had to read newspapers or books or things like basically we came up at a time where it was still like digest large amounts of content summarize, synthesize all this stuff. The generation Gen Z that has grown up now totally digitally native, default consumes content in that like micro dose sort of mm-hmm. way. And, and I actually think in this regard at least, we have a huge advantage because I think you have to be able to do deep thinking to to make big, good long-term bets, investments, decisions. Um, And we've exercised both of those muscles. We're fluent in doing both. And I think for Gen Z, it's going to be even more important to find time to do that deep thinking work because there will be no shortage of noise and some signal coming in all the time. And that's going to be the natural way to consume data.
1: Do you think those shortcuts just make life more efficient or do they actually make it harder for people to really understand things?
0: I do think it makes it more efficient. And maybe it's because I'm just a techno optimist there is definitely a meme in startup world of like mental models. And and there's always like, you know, the 20 mental models Elon Musk uses, the 15 mental models that Jeff Bezos uses to make decisions. And look, I'm victim of this too. I love geeking out. If there's a good mental model post, I love reading it because I think being able to use those kinds of shortcuts to attack problems, whether it's from first principles or what have you, like actually helps. And And I think in a way, um having an information world that is built on like creating like being able to interpret and and sort of map together lots of little pieces of data that may contradict that may evolve rapidly actually is a good i think i think it helps helps develop the bigger picture way more efficiently uh because if i'm honest like that article that i would have read five years ago or 10 years ago probably had a few hundred words of fluff just so someone could make their uh, their minimum. And and so I appreciate the fact that there is an, uh, like great writing on the internet. Let's, let's set aside the lying and let's set aside all this. I think great writing on the internet, this is one thing Paul Graham does well, even though I don't always agree with what he writes. Um, should be a very thoughtful use of just the right words, like just enough, the minimum viable word count <laughs> and and no bullshit filler words. And like the more clearly and concisely you can get a point across, the sort of more valuable it is. And I, I like that, That I want that trend to win. Um, but then of course, there's the reality that the sensational lie travels way further and faster than the truth. And, and I think yeah, that's at funny. the heart. Yeah, oh, 100%. So
1: how do people get trained on knowing what is real, what is sensationalized, and when to do more research.
0: Yeah, well, that is that is the that is the ultimate test. I think that's a lifelong learning exercise. And that's something media liter- literacy is not getting taught. It should be. Uh, I don't know. Financial literacy is clearly no. not getting taught. No. It should be. <laughs> it, and and I think it's school, up to us. Right? I it's comics well, cap. It's the only hope
1: hey, if, if that helps, then I'm, yeah. I'm all for that, right? Because I think the other piece of this is people are learning in alternative ways. I mean, that, that in part is mm. oh, yeah. why they, like, people learn from Twitter. And, yeah, and that shouldn't be necessarily too. the only place they learn from, but they learn from, from courses on the internet now that have been, I mean, this is what we've talked about in many respects has been all about democratization of access to financial services, to information, to politics, to media, and education is, is no exception,
0: yeah. Yeah, man. So it's cooking. And I know we haven't talked at all about what you wanted to talk about, but are you going to bring hey, it back? Okay.
1: this is, that's okay. This is <laughs> no, this is a really important discussion. Actually, there was one other thing that came into my mind on all of this is that you have a young daughter that is growing up in a completely digital world. Oh yeah. To the point of our conversation about how do younger people build the muscle of Doing research, learning things, and going to greater depth of things. How do you think about that as a dad trying to teach your daughter?
0: Right now, we do we do our best to limit exposure. Uh, it's not screens. I think I actually think the screen thing is kind of like remember how they told us not to like spend all of our time in front of the TV or playing video games, all stuff. I mean, it's this like I don't think it had a terribly bad impact on me um, or most. Um, I think, I mean, I should have played less video games for sure, relative to like my peers. I played way more. I was definitely the 99th percentile of gaming hours, but, um, and I couldn't make a living from it back then. I know, but I couldn't have made a living back then from it. So it was, I think should have carved it back. We really focus on helping her get bored or be bored and, so like car rides and it's a fight. There's some car rides we'll just hand her the iPad so she can watch Netflix and like, yeah, I do that we do that for sure. We don't know iPads at dinner. That's an important rule. But car rides and travel, we're like 50-50. There are definitely some trips where it's like, please just take the iPad. <laughs> and uh, but then there are others where it's like, no, you're gonna like stare out the window, you're gonna talk to us if you want to. Um, I really think the downside of having everything on demand is so many good hours are invested, just being alone with your thoughts and having to think, even if it's just daydreaming, like I want her to get good at daydreaming. Yes. You're hitting on such an interesting point,
1: which is that social media consumes so much of our time. And it's such an easy filler of time, right? When you're waiting yeah. in line for yes. something, when you're in transit oh, in the too. back of an Uber or a Lyft, you're just scrolling through Twitter or on Instagram or whatever. What do you do in a world where that's the case. Do you just go with it and that's the world we're going to live in? Or should you limit that so that you can do things like as kids, we probably both daydream. We just thought about things and we're alone with our thoughts. That doesn't seem to be the case or it doesn't have to be the case
0: anymore. Okay. As an adult, I mean, certainly take ownership of your life and block off time for that. As a, as a kid, you're, you're at the mercy of what your adults tell you to do. And so I guess the business dad advice is, like we're trying to create opportunities for her to just be bored. And and I'll I'll tell her, I'll straight up just be like, Olympia, you're not getting the iPad right now. We're only going to be in the car for 15 minutes. And you can use that time to either talk to us or just stare out the window. Like think about stuff. I don't know. We, we're here to talk if you want to. If you don't want to, that's great too. Just daydream. And so we're very, like, I try to be very, I, try, I mean, she's only three and a half, but I try to treat her like, I try not to talk down to her in that. I want her to understand why I'm doing this thing, and even though she's not happy about it, she's hearing like, okay, Papa's got a good reason, or he's got a reason for it that I may not agree with, but like, he's <laughs> explaining to me and like respecting me enough to tell me why. And I look, I gotta, I gotta check myself on this stuff too because all the time I'm at, like, I'm, I'm the first one to be, be like, oh, I got two extra minutes, like I'm gonna get on Twitter, and, and I think for me, it's now just been a focus to just block off, literally block off time in my calendar for taking a walk around the farm and thinking, and, and that's it. Like I block off usually two or three times during the day to just at least have 10 minutes to just wander around and just kind of think and be bored for a little bit. Doesn't always work. There's always something that's running and that some spare cycles in the back uh, that then come to the front, and and there's always something to be thinking about. So it's not like I'm just sitting there like zen meditating.
1: I mean, I'm far from a somebody who understands the, the brain and, and kind of how, how people's brains think, but like, Would the contrarian view be if the world we live in increasingly so is completely online, particularly for younger people, should they actually just be spending all their time online and getting really good at consuming information, like interacting online? Because maybe that's like maybe the daydreaming time has been transposed into something different and like and our brains are gonna be yeah. and pe- younger people's brains may actually be different again this is I have no scientists uh, but
0: look there is truth to that and you can start to see some interesting data points like there's a there's a twitch streamer who's pretty popular maybe a million followers or so and he created his own instance of GTA 5 on his own server and its own it's his own little world and and it's open world enough that people can join into it and he just plays he just hangs out this is gonna sound crazy but he hangs out in gta and wanders around and talks to his fans and meets up with his friends in gta as though they were hanging out in Space. so like they'll go they'll be like oh let's go grab our cars and go meet at this fast food location they're doing things that we did as kids but in gta and for an audience and it's it's 99% of it is just idle time like he's not even being entertaining or interesting no offense it's just it's just communal and so yeah look that is a bellwether for sure cuz that's an ugly hack right that's using a video game that's not designed for that in any way whatsoever that's ancient really um to do something that people seem to like and enjoy better platforms will come the part that's inescapable for me is that we're still like I don't know, chunks of meat and blood, there's still going to need to be some kind of offline experience that one will need to keep exercising. Um, And so, yeah, I think it will, so to say, I think, yes, it will be possible to not only be bored digitally, it'll actually be, I bet, an even better experience because you could effectively like make a dry erase board appear and start doodling in, in midair and it's gonna look beautiful and it's gonna remember everything you drew you you drew so that in case you go, you know, you forget the next morning, it's all still saved and you can watch replay of yourself doodle it. Like it will be a better experience to be bored digitally, but we're not close to there yet. And and in the meantime, I still need I need those muscles to get exercised in my my toddler's brain.
1: Well, the capital side of this is if people are going to live their lives online, they're going to need to monetize online. So so but that that's gonna be, I think, one of the really interesting questions as this as all of this kind of unfolds is if younger people are so digitally native, they're gonna live online, they're gonna interact online, eventually they're gonna monetize online. So what happens in that regard? And then spending their time there may actually be not lost time,
0: but right building their muscles for their future businesses the distinction for me is when you're leaning back on your phone just consuming content you're not proactively like thinking you're not doing that work so i think that's the whether it's digital or not the bigger thing is like are you leaning in or sort of leaning back to the content and and the more that you're leaning into it and thinking about it i think the better
1: uh, we need to get people's brainwaves. We need to get people's brainwaves to see that when they're leaning back versus leaning in and seeing what that does.
0: All right. Like someone, Elon Musk is probably working on it. <laughs> he, he
1: probably, he probably is, but that, probably. that would be, that would be fascinating to see when it comes to thinking about how people decide to interact with the world, where they spend their time, how they spend their time, how they raise their kids.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. All right. Well, I got to go, man. This was a good app. You will. Dora.